Good morning, everybody. It's Friday, but we don't care. It's the next 24 hours a day. That's what we do on this podcast. But the first thing we're going to talk about today is a study on calorie labels on restaurant menus. Is this good? Is this bad? What are we saying about that? Think about it. What do you think? Would you like to have calorie information and macros of food on all menus? Every time you eat out, would you like to know how many calories you were consuming? What do you think? Think, sit with it, sit with it. Let's see what the study says. Purpose of the study was to see if using this information was related to basically weight management in a healthy way um, and just to see if it was helping people make better decisions, okay? So it was 788 men and 1,042 gorgeous women, aged 31 years old on average, participated. And they did loads of surveys, questions to figure out, okay, asking them if they had noticed restaurant with calorie information. And the results were this, okay, let's, let's, let's cut to the chase here. 52.7% uh, of the participants reported they had noticed calorie information was purchasing a meal or snack in restaurants, right? Um, amongst those that did, 38.2% reported they did not use it to decide what to order, but 50% said they used the calorie information to avoid high calorie foods or to decide on a smaller portion. Um, the bad news in this study actually is that the concern is that the use of menu labels to limit calorie intake was most frequent among participants using unhealthy weight control behaviors compared with those only using healthy behaviors. So people who were, they did the surveys were asking them to figure out if any of them were binge eaters or had food eating disorders. And unfortunately, those are the ones that did were the ones using it for a calorie restriction. And then the ones who didn't have any disordered eating were actually not using the menus at all. So this raises the question, do we not show the information purely because people with eating disorders might use it to eat lower? And if, if that's a good thing or not, it might be a trigger, it might, it might not. Or is it the education side of things? Like, what is the answer there? It's an interesting study because for me, I personally love to have all the information, calorie information, not because I'll get obsessed over it, not because I'd be like, oh, should I have this? This is, this is 380 calories and this is 360. And I get it. A lot of people who have got eating disorders and stuff will actually might be in terrible conflict in their mind about having what, they, what to eat because they want to save 10 calories or 15 calories. There will be people who struggle with it. Right, so maybe restaurants need to offer a menu which does have calories and a menu which doesn't. Because sometimes we don't want to see the calories. We just want to go and have a good time with our friends, eat the food, forget about it. It's going to be heavy on calories, cool. Some of us want the control to know. So the choice, at the moment, there is no choice, but there is another side to the coin. Restaurants who do post the calories and macros of their foods, there's another knock-on effect. They actually then create foods that are lower in calories in general. Because they don't want to see their menu with high-calorie foods all over the shop. So it's a knock-on effect on their behavior. The awareness of the restaurant, of the calories and macros in their foods, makes them aware. Therefore, they reduce the, the use of these saturated fats and oils and all this stuff. Bring the calories down on all their meals. So that's a good thing. So yeah, it's the thing to, it's the thing to question. It's the thing to question. Um, it's the same with tracking, right? Obviously... A turtle, we say tracking, really useful tool. Good to know, be your own scientist. But some people, it's not not the right option. Okay? 
but the tracking is there. It's the availability of it there. More is frustrating is restaurants have no information on their food. And uh, I think the availability should be there, personally. But let me know what you think about that. The next one I want to talk about is uh, hunger and cravings, yeah? Feeling hungry can mean at least two different things. Homeostatic, when you haven't eaten in several hours, your stomach is starting to grumble and you're feeling these usual bodily sensations associated with hunger. It stems from your body's need for calories. Homeostatic hunger is driven by a complex series of signals throughout the body and brain that tell us we need food for fuel. The best way to get rid of this is to eat and maintain that full feeling for a healthy amount of time is to eat nutritious foods that fill you up. Okay, classic, easy. Hedonic hunger. People don't just eat for calories because it signals their body for energy stores. They eat for pleasure. <clears throat> of course we do. Foods such as ultra-processed foods drive the brain to want more. Oh yes, they do. Oh, chocolate bar, give me some more of that. This type of hunger is called hedonic hunger. Hedonic, hedonic, guys, I'm, 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 look, I'm saying it how I say it, okay? Hedonic, for, I can't say that word again, vagina. Hedonic hunger is wanting to eat, dwell on food, or maybe craving something. Okay, so we've got the hunger continuum. So we go homeostatic hunger into hedonic hunger. So homeostatic is when you're actually hungry, you haven't eaten in, you know, on one side is like you haven't eaten in hours and hours and hours and hours. You need the calories. Then the other one is when you just had a full meal, but you were still want dessert, eating for pleasure. A person who hasn't eaten in 12 or more hours is experiencing homeostatic hunger, whereas a person who wants to eat dessert, hedonic. Okay, so cravings. Let's, we need to know what the definitions of words are. I can't throw, say I'm craving now when you're actually hungry, or you're hungry, but you're saying it's a craving. Okay, it's important that we don't mix these up. A craving is an intense urge to consume a particular food and this urge can occur regardless of how hungry or full you are. Research does not support the claim that certain foods are craved because the body lacks nutrients found in this food. Cravings are due to an unconscious expectation or conscious expectation of what is consumed in certain situations based on what we usually do. So, how cravings happen? The thought of the food appears in the mind when you try not to eat, your awareness of hunger may grow and the thoughts of food become more intense. Imagining and visualizing foods plays a strong role in cravings that even asking people to picture a food can trigger a craving. Crisps, ooh, amazing crisps. Chocolate, ooh, amazing chocolate. Ooh, that gooey cookie. Oh, French toast. How about cinnamon bun? Hot chocolate. Am I, am I setting any of you off? Because if I am, let's calm it back down. You just, you just, you, look, it's gone in your mind. You can bring it back down. It's just a craving. It's not real. Well, it is, but I've triggered it. But there's no, you're not hungry for it. Okay, there's a difference. Let, power, let it go. Accept it, but let it go. Cravings are expectations. Suppose you usually eat a particular food in a specific situation, popcorn in front of the TV. You are subconsciously beginning to form an expectation that this situation and the consumption of this particular food occur together. I sit down, therefore I have popcorn. Expectation is TV, popcorn, let's go, Cobra Kai season four. Is that what I'm saying? Is that what we're saying? It's brown with the brain. Okay, that's what it's doing, the brain. So what we can do, control-based strategies... Stealing thoughts or attention somewhere else or changing the content of thoughts so that the food is no longer attractive. 
So an example is distraction is you're playing Tetris on the phone for five minutes or solving word puzzles. Yeah, that's a distraction. Negative thoughts, thinking of the food as ruined. For example, imagining that someone has sneezed on it. It's dropped on the floor and it smells out of date. Oh, no, it's disgusting. Or just think back to someone you really dislike eating and thinking it's the best food in the world, therefore you now dislike it. <laughs> okay, so acceptance-based strategies. Turning attention to thoughts, feelings, and physical sensations and accepting them as transient states. It's, it is a relatively new, more time-consuming and more research is needed. But this is what I'm saying is that this is it, okay? Through training, you learn the thoughts and cravings you do not need to escape from or change, but you also do not have to take them as truths you simply must act on. Think of like six hands around you putting with different food outreached to you and you're just sitting in the middle in like a little yoga pose yeah? and there's six of them and you're going, please take this cookie, no, take this bread, take that, okay? And you just can just sit there and accept and be like, yeah, you know, and it's accepted that they're there. You know, trying to trying to bait you in, but close your eyes, you don't see them anymore. Block your nose, you can't smell her anymore. You know they're there, but you don't accept it, that you have to act on it, and you don't have to act. It's the conflict. It's the conflict that's the problem. And if this research, this new research, is going to show anything, and this this has been this is in this is an Eastern thought for 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 ages, Buddhists and stuff think about this all the time. I think if you can look at a word without the meaning of the word, it has no more power over you. Because the words are loaded and they say that. Can you look at the fact without adding anything else to the fact? Can you just sit with the fact? Can you sit with the fact that you're craving something and not trying to escape that? Can you sit with the fact that you are hungry and you're not, not escaping because you're not trying to escape it? Can you sit with the fact that you're a greedy git? Because <laughs> we're all greedy as humans, but we're going to try and not be greedy. Therefore, we're fighting conflict again and again and again. So every time you have a craving... Accept the fact you've got a craving, okay? The word craving has got a bit of a negative connotation to it. Accept this, craving. You know what's happened. Let's, let's, let's look, you know, you know what's happened. Stimulus has caused it. You expect, you're expecting it now. Oh, it'll be nice if I have that. Sit with the facts that you have now got a craving and don't try and change it and stay with it. Therefore, the craving will lose its power over you. The research is showing this now, and it's going to show more, no doubt, in my mind. Get what I'm saying? And I'm going to finish with this. And this is going into the weekend, so we're more aware, right? The studies show the only intervention that works for weight loss with problem foods is being able to eat your problem foods in moderation. Nothing else worked. Low calorie stuff, not buying it. Your friends not buying it. You know, putting it in the cupboards, hiding it away, like Tom Cabot says. None of that actually worked long term. The only thing they did was being able to live with that problem food and eat it in moderation. Therefore, and not be in conflict with it. Therefore, it's not a problem food anymore. Does that make sense to you? There's a problem food, a chocolate bar. You're always fighting it all the time. Oh, don't bring it over, little, la la la. Always fighting against it. But the only intervention that works is putting the table next to you, looking at it, and not actually fighting it, and actually being able to eat it moderately. I know it's easier said than done, but there's, not, there's no conflict between you and the chocolate bar. It's there. And actually, you can have a chocolate bar in your house and not crumble and eat it. Therefore, there's not a problem anymore because you and that bar, that chocolate bar, the food, this like big words we're using, is gone. 
what do we think about that? The environment is not guaranteed. Your routine is not guaranteed. You will be knocked out of routine. You're going to be knocked out of the environment that you that you thrive in, and you're going to be put into the chaos. What do you do in the chaos? Is the question. Do you lack every skill going and can't deal with anything outside of routine, therefore crumble and break and just eat everything? Or can we learn the skills of being able to live in the chaos? Live with these different things, environmental um, cues and stuff like that. I think that's where we have to work on as well. So in an octagon challenge, we're going back to habits. We'll be reading Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg as the first book. We're going to look at habits. We're going to look at the psychology of it. We've got morning mindset with Dean, cup of tea in the morning, you know, half seven till half eight, whatever, drop-in sessions. We've got performance well-being with Hugh Gilmore. And then we've got the mental health of Ryan Williams. We've got three different levels here. We've got the daily, the awareness with Dean in the mornings, the daily awareness, bringing attention to the day ahead. Any questions offloading? We've got the performance well-being with Hugh. How do we take ourselves to the next level? Yeah, how to deal with stress, how to stress us and hold us back. And we've got the mental health stuff, which is very important. Like on Book Club last night, opening up, we talk about anxiety. The word anxiety is very loaded. All these words, all these thoughts about mental health and the stigma behind stuff and realising that all of us go through, and we all have anxiety. Every human has anxiety. Every human has fears. Every human has anxiety. Every human has sorrow and sadness and grief. We go through it. All of us. Universal. It's not a competition. But we don't talk about it. So that's why the mental health stuff comes in. It's being able to have this open forum and being able to chat about it. So I'm looking forward to to kind of bringing this all together. We're going to have the habit side, psychological side, you know, the general mindset performance, the mental health. And we're going to really attack this thing in a full prong approach yeah and the nutrition side is going to be an educational seminar forum a very interactive um and again that's about behaviors and stuff as well not eating is a lot about behaviors like why do why do we want to eat it what's the why behind the eating why do i want that chocolate bar you know and it's less we know it's not acting like animals and just snatching ah okay i'm gonna have bar now because it's nice Okay, let's go a bit deeper than that. Let's delay judgment for a second. You know what I'm saying? So we're really going to go into this in much more depth than Octagon 1. Octagon 1 was good, but this is going to blow its head off. Um, but we're going into the weekend. Okay? The weekend, it's, a normal, it's another day. It's a Saturday, but it's another 24 hours. Right? Try and live in the moment. Be present. See what's in front of you. See what is. You know, try not to let yourself fight this and that. Okay? Don't make foods a big deal, more than big deal than they are. Oh, chocolate's bad, junk food, big names and fighting against that, right? If you do eat something, like a cookie, accept it. You've eaten a cookie. There we go. Okay, it's done. You've eaten it. There's no more fighting after that, feeling bad about it. I know it's easier said than done, but we have to stop doing this. We have to just accept. Accepting facts and working from the facts is the important thing. The fact is you ate the cookie. Now what? Okay, accept, move on, get your steps in, whatever, enjoy yourself, don't beat yourself up. And we got, weekends are crucial. Weekends are crucial to understanding why your behaviour drastically changes from the weekday to the weekend. If you're one of those people, why does that happen? Let's start inquiring about these things. 
why is it that weekends cause us to act in a completely different matter essentially irrational way versus a weekday you know I read a book on capitalism yeah and uh, it was talking about the weekends and the weekends are basically the weekends we got today are a capitalist creation in the sense that they know that they could fill weekends with pleasurable things for us to do. We would spend money and we'd go round and round and we would get pumped for weekends, spend money. It's just another way to keep spending and consuming. And it, you know, it makes sense. So the weekends came by and now we feel the urge. We have to spend, we have to consume, we have to do something all the time on weekends. Okay? And it's about money, eating out, like all this stuff. It's, in, it's ingrained in us to make the most of weekends, which makes sense because we work in the week. But we must be able to make the most of every day, no matter if it's filled with work, no matter if it's filled with seeing friends. We have to be able to make the most of it, no matter what. And when it comes to the weekends, we don't have to turn into wild animals and go big and crazy and eat all the stuff and drink all everything and kind of change the complete course. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of gains to be made by being able to be totally aware on the weekends. If we can be totally aware on the weekends, understanding our behaviours on the weekends, and actually limiting those really extreme behaviors huge amount of gains are going to be made you'd be shocked at the amount of calories people over consume on weekends putting them putting them back putting them back on their fat loss journey by a lot you know they're in a deficit of say 2000 2500 calorie deficit after five days you know that could that's what happens and then two more days they've lost a pound of fat basically by going into 3500 calories but over the weekend, they overconsume by three, 4,000 calories, therefore knocking the deficit away. There's no more deficit. It's a slight surplus. Maintenance holds back to square one on Monday. Keeps going around because there's two or three decisions that happen on the weekend that were like, ah, fuck it, fuck it. That's what happens. I'll have it all. I'll draw on this. And it's like, how are the other decisions? Always peer pressure, pushed on you, things like this. And this just comes down to being aware. That's all I'm saying. So the weekends are coming. It's a good time. January is probably a bit easier because people tend to be chill. But do uh, do ask why this weekend about your actions and uh, and analyze them and let me know what you think, but guys. Enjoy yourself. Make make the most of today, obviously. And next week the doors will be open for the group. No, actually the week after for Octagon. So Octagon sale. To, you'll be able to join Octagon from Sunday onwards. So anyone that's not listening who's going to join, join up Sunday. If you are a member, you'll be notified when to join the group. And if you've got any friends who want to join, happy days. For all Octagon people, you know, there's an affiliate scheme. So you can you can make money whilst helping someone with total health. How amazing is that? Information's in the group. But enjoy your day. Get your one big thing done. I'll see you on Monday.